All right. So uh, you guys are about to have a first ever, first ever for Moped Outlaws because... My internet service provider, Frontier Communications, took a big fat poop and was not able to connect me. And, oh, I spent an hour on the phone with them trying to get them to tell me what was going on. They, oh, God, it was horrible customer service. And when I finally called the right number, they were like, oh, yeah, one of our places in San Bernardino's out. We'll text you when everything's back up. And I, if they could have just notified me, like it says on their app, we'll let you know when there's an outage in your area. I would have just gone, okay, and I would have said to Greg, I can't do it today. But what we tried. You'll see me briefly at the beginning. You won't hear me. Actually, yeah, it was perfect. As long as you just sat there and didn't try to say anything, it was great. (laughs) I tried to use my iPhone as a linkage. um, And, you know, props to you, Greg, for stepping in and, and taking the whole, you know, ball and running with it and to our guest i'm sorry i couldn't be there to offer my insights and my humor and my graciousness and uh, i'd love to do it again sometime if you're available and uh i'm sure it's a fantastic episode although i have no idea (laughs) all right so yeah so this is a first we just had one co-host can you say co-host if there's only one well you're always riding with god right amen brother you're my God. So this will be like Star Wars. You know, uh, George finally got to see an episode he didn't make. I'll finally get to see an episode of Moped Outlaws that I had nothing to do with. Yeah. So, nothing to do with. so let's get into it with Riddell Lewis and Purple Politics. Here we right. go. Say some love. 11, 11, 11, 11. Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. And now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. And we're live with another episode of Moped Outlaws. And here on the ride this, today, almost said this morning, but who knows when you're listening, is uh, Riddell Lewis. And he is the host and creator of Purple Political Breakdown. And I got to say, like I was reading that, I'm a huge Prince fan. So when I hear Purple or read Purple, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, Purple. And then I got it. Oh, red and blue together makes purple. So welcome to the show, Riddell. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, As you said, red and blue makes purple. And at the end of the day, the, the goal for my podcast, at least, is that regardless of political affiliation, political biases, any of that, we can come to a more nuanced compromise solution to deal with our current issues of course yeah that is huge um a couple weeks ago in one of the episodes mark my co-host who i'm just going to mention he is having technical difficulties and we might see him bouncing in and out of here but he's present in spirit 24-7 um (laughs) god that sounds like a script anyway he was saying, like, we're supposed to be the united 
States of America. And um, let me ask you this, Riddell. Do you believe that at some point in American history it was united? Or has that always been a dream goal that is being pursued by the population? Uh, well, I guess it really depends on what you mean by united. Um, some people have this kind of false perception that there is a previous America. For example, the people who believe in MAGA, make America great again. Oh, that is completely different from our current way of life, our current system. And for the most part, it's not really. I've had conversations with people constantly about this. The current strife is more due to something a little bit different. I think social media plays a role. I do think some like dissatisfaction built up over the years, of course. But the systems um, at place, the institutions themselves are pretty much the same. There hasn't been drastic differences for the most part. When it comes down to America, I think you could say, obviously, when it comes down to fighting against our enemies, then America is united for the most part. That tends to happen quite a bit. You know, 9-11, when that happened, America was probably united for the most part. And there will always be kind of disagreements ideologically when it comes down to certain issues, especially the controversial ones. I do think we can reach a point of better nuance, better understanding. I think understanding is the way we become united. We don't have to agree. There's no need to agree. Complete agreement makes everybody brainwashed in the first place. But understanding and willing to listen is a good first step. And I do think we can reach that point again. I'm wondering in the process of understanding, I just had a recent experience last night where someone dropped a little note in my mailbox to me. And in essence, it was an apology, though I'm not quite clear what it was. But there was a pain in me, like it brought up an old wound. And... um as a gentleman of color yourself, and I'm very engaged with in our community, there's a racial healing that's needed in our community that's very evident from an incident that just occurred. So I guess my question, Riddell, is in your experience of the path of understanding, how do you hold that? pain and discomfort that comes up in interaction with others in a positive manner? For me, I will say that obviously it depends on the person when it comes to dealing with certain things. People have different experiences that probably have much more built up frustration and pain than others. Um, especially if you live in an environment that is never kind of seen the light of day, right? For me, I'm definitely a unique individual considering that I've had a lot of experience and I've seen a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different people. And at the same time, I don't really, for me at the very least, I'm more of a logical individual than an emotional person. So 
yes, there are things that obviously got me upset. And that, like, growth throughout the years to, like, my current age has developed my mind and my perspective. I preach to everyone constantly the best way to understanding is experience, it's perspective, it's conversation. Because once you get a different point of view that finally clicks in your brain, that is at that point where you go like, maybe I'm thinking about this all wrong. It happens to people all the time. Most people who are as frustrated as they are are in this kind of bubble and don't really have the point of view of the other individual, which fair or not, it depends on the situation. But once they are able to kind of communicate whether they want to or not, then they'll be able to find the solution they're looking for. At the end of the day, people who feel this built up frustration and pain, I definitely empathize with what you're going to. I've obviously, you know, been frustrated at different points in my life as well. But we need to realize something very important that the frustration that you're having wants to lead or get something out of that frustration. Hmm. We want a solution in place. We want change in place. Some people may say we want revolution in place. And that's all fine things to want. But doing the things that is necessary to achieve said thing, you can't do that without the other side. You can't just get rid of everybody. That's genocide. You can't just overrun the entire government. That's basically going to turn into anarchy. And that's treason. These are not solutions. The solutions you're going to have to do, things that you may not want to do, but if you want to get rid of that unease, that pain, that frustration that you're having, the only way you can do that is through understanding, is through compromise, is through conversation, and obviously being active and being an advocate in your community. So that's something I always preach to people that, let's put it plain and simple, if you're frustrated, violence is obviously not the right answer. Hmm. So I, I'm sorry that I've been somewhat distracted. I've been having technical issues, but I'm following Redell. And my question for you right now is in your podcast, have you found anyone who brings solutions that you think are viable? Are you finding any kind of innovative ideas in your exploration of these questions? Uh, for sure. I've, I've found a slew of solutions. Now, obviously, if I don't agree with the solution, then I don't agree with the solution. All the solutions I do have that I agree with and that I listen from my uh, guest or my uh, prior co-host is on my website as well for people to like read and see what they think about that. Kind of a baseline of what my stance is and what the solution is, of course. But I've talked about a lot of different things. Um, um, to kind of name a few for people. So one person came on the podcast to talk about uh, climate change a little bit. And they came, you know, talking about a solution that they are creating to kind of help deal with carbon emission, uh, emissions in the atmosphere. Right. So their approach wasn't to kind of stand in the middle of the highway and prevent people from getting to work. Their approach was we created a unique material it's a paint, actually. And this paint is imbued with an algae that can suck up the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So with this paint, it's not only helping the environment, so to speak, helping the climate, so to speak, but it's practical usage. And it's not going to take away from any of anybody else's needs or wants. 
It's an actual solution that people will be on board with. And for the most part, there are a lot of people who are in the middle and a lot of people in the right as well that want, you know, better ways to deal with climate change. But the way that people are going about it from what we see on the media is terrible. People don't want people just like bothering them. They're going to hate climate change activists if they do that. This was an actual solution that I was all game for that I thought it was a great job. They're working on the paint. They're in a great process with the paint. And that's just one solution, of course. Um, another solution that uh, I had when someone came on the podcast was someone who talked about the roles of parents. So this guy had a step-by-step step solution on how you should go about not parenting. He's not telling people how to parent, but th- he's telling people how he parented to make his kid as great as he is today. Right. And he went down step-by-step step on how you need to, you know, be a uh, open line of communication, understanding, give your kid proper uh, perspective and experience, make him an advocate, um, human right activist, not, not like an extremist, but like being involved in the community. And he talked about all these different steps he went with his kid to kind of make them not involved, not only involved in the community, but also making sure that there's a strong bond between the kid and the parent, but also allowing him to be himself and grow and nurture. And so we had him on the podcast we had um, just some conversations, some disagreements here and there. But overall, the premise, the idea, the solution was great. And that's another solution that I thought people would gain something from listening on the podcast. So I've had a lot of people on the, my podcast with some great solutions so far. Amon, do you think the um, current political structure that we have can be a healthy one for the populace as a whole. So I do think there needs to be obviously not change. I don't, I don't think change is the right word, but we definitely need to evolve our political structure, right? That's what we constantly do as people change. And the reason why people change is due to human intellect and evolution, obviously due to especially technology and tools. Technology and tools have changed us. It's allowed us to be more critical thinkers due to the increased amount of free time that we gain from the useful tools and technology that we got, that we garner. And with that, we create more innovative stuff. We create better technology and we come up with new ideas and we have new issues that we want to solve. Right. Back in the day, the issues obviously would have been something more in line with, you know, making sure people have the basic needs and necessities. Nowadays, we're focusing more on social issues. The reason why is because the needs and necessities part is not nearly as critical as it was back then. Obviously, Um, is it is it perfect nowadays? It's not perfect, especially in America, but it's way better than it was back then. So the reason why I say that is because in terms of our current society and how we should evolve, we need to evolve with our current times and our current way of thinking. And will that be possible? I do think it will be. It's going to create, it's going to require some adaptation with people, you know, with the new generation, with my generation, with the generation afterwards, who are going to have to understand the way we are going about political discourse now is very toxic and unproductive, especially on social media. Um, it's going to require people who do understand the nuance to speak up. 
It's going to require some different potentially policy changes. I think the way we're voting is not representative enough to the more critical thinkers because more people are being, quote unquote, political activists. More people kind of know what politics are, but their their true thoughts are not really getting represented properly. So that may be in part due to how we're voting. So I've looked up some solutions. Um, I'm having a guest in the future who talks about these different strategies. And there are things like star voting, ranked choice voting, approval voting. That's a little bit more representative of the people's wants and needs. So there are ways we can evolve and kind of make the political discourse a lot more productive than it is now. I do believe that. I haven't heard of these voting methods you just mentioned, like star voting. And what were the other two you just? So there's star voting, approval voting, ranked choice voting. And I'm not surprised. Obviously, it took me a while to even find out about this. And um, once I did and I heard everything, I was like, this is a great idea. Um to kind of put it basically for one of them for approval voting, because it's the most basic and easiest one to implement. The way we vote now is I like to kind of frame it as, okay, I'm choosing the lesser of two evils. I'm choosing the person that I hate the least, right? Perfect example, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. People hated Donald Trump. So they voted for Joe Biden, Donald Trump and Hillary. People hated Hillary. So they voted Donald Trump with these new voting strategies, such as approval voting, it'll be more representative of your your opinions. Approval voting allows you to vote for multiple candidates that you approve of. So it's like, okay, I approve of, let's talk about the Republican candidates. I approve of Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and Vivek. So you just said, I approve of all these three votes. I don't mind if any three of them get voted in. Maybe you oh, see yeah. a third-party candidate. Oh, yeah. The third-party candidate was like, I know third party candidates don't win, but I approve this guy. So I'm going to put here because now my vote actually matters for this third party candidate. So you can also vote a third party candidate. So it just allows your thought, your kind of opinions to be represented a lot more. Also makes third parties more irrelevant than it is now where it's like only these two guys are going to win. So I'm going to just choose this guy, basically. That's brilliant. I've never heard that. And that's a brilliant idea because part of the whole thing with, um, well, even currently, we've got a pretty good challenge to the Democratic presidential seat um, happening. And one of the fears I have as a voter is if I vote for someone I really want, in essence, I'm voting for someone I don't want. Like, let's take the Donald Trump Hillary case. Um I wasn't thrilled voting for Hillary, but I definitely didn't want to vote for Trump. If I, if my, if, if what you're presenting was available to me, I could have vote for multiple people. And then you still have the one with the most votes is going to take the seat. But now I can give, I'm empowered with this system. I love yeah. it. The issue there is chokehold that the GOP. In fact, those things are extra constitutional. Process. Mark, you're you're fading out. I think we lost him. 
Yeah, I couldn't really make out what he was uh, yeah. saying. He and the GOP, the DNC and the GOP, but chokehold on system. Those institutions are constitutional. They exist out of the Constitution. Are you? Um, <laughs> it's not working, Mark. We, you're not. We're not hearing you. Um, all right, let's switch gears while Mark just popped off. Um, I became a huge fan of One Piece, the live version on Netflix. And I see behind you the flag. Yep. Are you a One Piece fan? Yeah, I like uh, One Piece, the anime, the manga. Um, I'm a big story uh, writing guy. I like good stories, good written stories, good developed stories in terms of the human experience. It makes it easy for me when I consume media nowadays for the last few years, I can learn more about the human experience through these stories if they're obviously written well, right? These are more extreme circumstances, of course. You can either do that or go through history, but some of these series are just more entertaining than history sometimes. And that's why I kind of like enjoy them. I see the, I read the story. It's fun, entertaining, and you can gain something from it because everything that is written down for the most part, the, the more like quality written stories are supposed to represent a, a side of the human experience, obviously dr- dramatize a lot more, but it's supposed to kind of tell a message that it's trying to adhere to the audience. So yeah, I'm a big fan of a uh, stuff like one piece attack on Titan, stuff like that. Did you um, watch the live version of one piece? I did. I think they did a good job. Uh, the only live action that I've ever seen that actually just done a good job. So yeah. One Piece gets a lot of credit for that, not going to lie. Yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed with the MAGA stories is they're very you're, – you're familiar with the hero's journey? Um, I'm familiar with it, yeah. Okay. Well, real briefly, I think one of the famous – people who explored it was uh, James Campbell and seeing how these stories, no matter what the culture or the place in the world, these stories had the very similar arc where uh, the hero's journey, a person is called to leave their place of comfort by something. And there's a resistance. They don't want to. Um, it's it's kind of like uh, Jonah. If you're familiar with the biblical story of Jonah, you know, he was called by God to go and talk to these people. He's like, no, that's not me. I can't do that. And he's swallowed by a whale. So then the hero sets off and um, and there's a challenge and there's a challenge to the person's whole sense of being. You know, the whole sense of being is profoundly disrupted. And through the healing process, they can come back to their home, in essence, a transformed individual, and have something that they give back to the people, the home. And in these MAGA stories, like One Piece, I really saw that, like, I don't, you know, I forget his name, but he was such the perfect hero in my mind you know especially when he was challenged when he just thought he effed up beyond anything 
talking but, about Lupe? Yeah, Luke, Lupe, yeah. And, you know, there's that one, I think it was towards the end, like maybe the second to the last episode, where he thought they were going to win. Like, he thought, yeah, we got this. And it's always lost, you know, I, as I recall, like someone's practically dead and the, his love of his life is gone. And the person, yeah, the person he thought, the redheaded girl like that, he thought she was in, she seems to have um, tricked them all. Like everything is lost. So I guess let me ask you this, Riddell, do you have a hero's journey experience in your life? Um, hero's journey experience. Um, it's, it's hard to say. Obviously I have my own goal that I'm striving for, um, very much within, um, and correspondence with the podcast that I created. And I've always had a goal, especially at Alpha High School that I was going to do something that I thought would be, that would matter. Now, I wouldn't call anything I'm doing as like heroic necessarily because I don't really think that I'm inherently like the the morally just individual like some of these other people. Um, I kind of just go along with what I think is right and I do what I do because I want to do it basically. And that's kind of how I kind of go about things. Now, if it succeeds, it succeeds. If it fails, it fails. I'll keep on doing it, of course. So it's definitely a journey of somewhat because you never know whether or not you will succeed or fail in your endeavors. But at the end of the day, if I do succeed, I will say that it could be impactful in some way, even on the in the minor scale, impactful in some way in changing our way of communicating through politics and political discourse and changing different things, depending on certain issues that is going on. Because ultimately I believe that the current state of affairs when it comes to political discourse is just kind of foolish at times. I think most of the, for the most part on the left and the right, y'all are doing very similar things, but thinking about it at a different point of view. You guys are kind of acting irrationally on both sides. Obviously, certain people acting irrationally more so than other, depending on the issue. But one good thing that I've come to know after kind of being in these conversations so long is that everybody kind of sees themselves as the hero, as the good guy, as doing something that is in the betterment of society. Once you kind of click in your brain that maybe even if I think I'm a hero, doesn't mean that that other person isn't a hero. Once you click in your mind that everybody's trying to do what is best based off their own values, because people understand that, but they don't, it doesn't click for them unless it's kind of someone makes them realize that that is something more important than they really think. They understand people have different cultures and values. They understand that people have different point of views. They understand people are religious. They understand people have different identities. But now they need to use that understanding in how they approach these issues. And I think that is that is important. So if I can kind of make people realize these things, then I think that would uh, be important for the journey I'm on at the very least. Is part of your journey... 
um, to personally be involved in politics as a politician, or do you want to be more of a um, sort of an academic individual who's observing and giving thought to the process and hopefully bringing some enlightenment from that thoughtful perspective? It's really hard to say uh, because I'm still relatively young. I'm getting older. I'm becoming an old man, but I'm still <laughs> relatively young. So I can't really be involved in politics, politics for a little while. But I know initially, like I went to college for politics and I decided to go against politics for a little while because the game was just so annoying when it comes to the political game. I do think I'll be involved somewhat in the future in terms of politics, but I more so want my freedom to say what I want. I don't want people telling me to say what I want or telling me what I what to say what I need. I don't want people to kind of lobby me to kind of push a certain bill or anything. I don't want to be playing those games. I want to adhere to my own values, my own way of being basically and create solutions based off what I think is right versus what someone else thinks is right. And what's important for me, so people kind of understand, is I'm not like strict to the point where I think my way is the only way. I adapt. I have so many conversations with the left, with the right, obviously with the middle. And I evolve my opinions based off my conversations. I still think that I have a good way of analyzing and conceptualizing different things, but I'm willing to compromise issues to push whatever I'm pushing forward. So it's hard to say. I think I'll mostly be in this more maybe academic space, maybe just entertainment space, podcast space, maybe the kind of, you know, I wouldn't say talk show host, but kind of my own version of that space that is able to provide this different nuance from my own individual opinion. But I won't discount the idea that in the future I may enter the political arena and see what I can do at the very least, see how it goes. As a politician, do you see your vibe more as a leader who is attempting to bring enlightenment to your constitution, you know, your, your people you're representing, or do you see yourself more as a representative of the democratic voice of the people you represent? That's an interesting question. Uh, for me, as of right now, I'm more of an individual in the opinions that I kind of regurgitate throughout my podcast. Um, I come up with the opinions based off what I know, what I learn, and the conversations I have. But once you're kind of a p- political figure, it definitely should change a way. It, it's more of a ratio more so than anything because it is foolish to think that you're going to get into office, um, get into a position of power and just kind of do whatever you want. And sometimes when you just do whatever you want, you may do something that is not at the benefit of the people. So you do need to be more of a representative of the people and their wants and needs at the end of the day. But what you do need to make sure you're doing is communicating what your positions are 
and how your positions are going to benefit their needs and wants. And I think that is the key thing. I think sometimes politicians lie about their positions. I think actually not sometimes. I think a lot of times politicians lie about their positions, lie about their stances to kind of grab the, the people's votes. And then once they get into a position, they just do whatever they want until it's time for, you know, re-election, right? So I think that is important to make your stance clear and try to help the people's wants and needs the best you can. Do you see any hope with some of the youth that's now entering the main political system like AOC, perhaps not agreeing specifically with her politics, but seeing a hope in the youth, that young blood being in the system? I do think there's a lot of hope. Obviously, people need to recognize that older individuals in office are still needed due to experience, due to perspective, everything I've said constantly. Yes, obviously, a young, more healthy person will have more motivation, more vigor, more, you know, be more gung-ho about the things that they're kind of preach and push. But we all recognize that in the most important positions all across the world, all those individuals are older individuals for a reason, that they understand how the system works. They understand how the world works through their vast years of experience. Now, with that said, the next generation, the young generation that's coming up, they're definitely still going to be important. They're going to be more important as time goes on, obviously, because younger and younger individuals are be getting in the political space, whether or not they know what they're talking about is a different story, but they're getting in the political space. Politics are being pushed in them more due to social media and um, even like, like on their through social media and through conversations with their friends who learn from social media. So more young individuals are learning about these issues, having very little experience and perspective and creating stances for themselves. So that is happening more and more. So these people are becoming more and more involved in politics. Overall, having young people in politics is not a bad thing. But these young people definitely need to be educated and understand that, yes, you may want to make change. But you making change is only possible if you're willing to have the conversation and compromise. Revolution is great for torn down countries that have no structure. Revolution is not great for the United States of America, who's trying to be the greatest country in the world. So once young people understand this, and I think people, young people do get to understand this better as they grow up. As I said, it comes with experience and perspective. They do get better as they grow up and they want to be more involved in politics after they gain the proper experience. So it's going to come with some growing pains. But the more people are educated, the younger they are. And the more people that are educated in general, overall is a net positive. Right. So people are not misled and manipulated to think certain things from certain political figures. So overall, it's a net positive. Do you find yourself like do you spend a lot of your time listening to politics and digging into what is happening in the political field? 
I definitely give away a good chunk of my time um, to kind of dive into politics uh, because I think it's interesting. I think these conversations are important. I think these conversations are also entertaining. But I'm definitely not one to kind of just spend all my day in politics. I think you need hobbies at the end of the day. You need to do other stuff. There's other stuff I enjoy. There's different levels in terms of severity that I give things, obviously. Um, but I enjoy, you know, certain fictional media, certain nerd media. I enjoy sports, of course, hanging out with friends, all that good stuff. And, you know, all of that stuff takes time out of your day. But well, when it comes down to, you know, politics and specifically, it requires a certain level of focus and certain level of, you know, paying attention, basically, to make sure that you're not giving people the wrong information to make sure that you're not just telling people nonsense that they believe and just regurgitate to other people to grow the sphere of nonsense. It needs to be deliberate when you're paying attention to politics and understand what is going on, because these issues revolving around politics doesn't only affect you, but it affects everybody else. So even though I focus on a lot of different things and honestly kind of need to, if you want to live a enjoyful life, Politics definitely needs to take more care. It can't be just a hobby that you just kind of pay attention to and then just half-hazardly talk about. So I'm um, wondering if you've been following uh, Marianne Williamson's run for the presidency and also um, I'm forgetting his, is it Robert Kennedy Jr.? Is it Robert, his first name? Uh, yeah, I, I know about RFK Jr. running as an independent. I right. know about just, just the, changed to independent. Yeah, changed to independent because I think he knows he wouldn't win the primary against um, Biden. But he will take votes away from Biden for sure. And uh, pay attention to Republican candidates because obviously they've had like two um Republican debates so far. So I've watched both of those. I know there's another person running. I don't know a lot about Marianne Wilson personally, but I do know there's another individual running. I forget his name that wants to run for the Democratic nominee. And um there's another one that's on the social media space. Uh Shank, I think that's his name, who's also running. So I, I knew a couple of candidates that it seems to be running as of right now. Right. What you just said about how um, RFK Jr. is going to take votes away from Biden speaks to that um, manner of voting that you mentioned earlier, where if I could vote for RFK Jr. and for Biden and perhaps Marianne Williamson, those are three people that right now, as I sit here with you today, I would give those three people my vote. And it's just just so empowering. I really wonder, do you think it's plausible that in our lifetime, we will see something of that nature implemented into the voting system? Um, I do. Um, I know organizations that is working towards changing um, some of voting styles at the local level. Um, I personally, I always kind of regurgitate to people that, Local and state politics is more important than federal politics, uh, national elections. Uh, it affects you much more, obviously, than national elections do. But if it starts at the local level and people are states are making changes and there's actual 
like better representative, um, you know, electees that actually do stuff that adheres to the populace, then it'll just in- increase in terms of integrity. And with that said, more states will do it. And eventually enough people will understand what these things are and they'll preach, okay, we want this at the federal level now. We want to choose the president this way. So I do think it's possible in the future. And the only thing I think, like the challenge to the statement of local politics and federal politics is, and this is a bad pun in here, but I, the Trump card is always what the federal policy is. And I think a great area where that's evident is with marijuana and how pretty much universally, not completely, but, you know, it's recreationally um, legal now from a state perspective in many, many, many states. However, even in those states, the FBI can come in and bust you. And that's end of story because it's still a federal felony. And even looking at education, you know, the and where I really see the powers with the Supreme Court, um, when they dictate legal policy of something, so often a word in that policy will impact lives for decades. Yeah, so... I think people definitely need to understand that voting for the president um, doesn't mean you're voting for policy necessarily. You're voting for your congressman means you're voting for policy. So we know that the legislative branch are the ones that make laws. Um, and it's a little misleading because the president is the figurehead. Now, Donald Trump wants to make the presidency more powerful than they already are. But... <laughs> The, in the executive branch is here to kind of make sure that the country is running smoothly. They're not here to make laws or anything. So that is why people need to understand that you're voting for your senator. You're voting for your um, representative. Those are the people that matter. They're the ones creating the laws. They're the ones who represent your needs. Not only do they help create laws at the federal level, but more importantly, they help create laws at your state level, at your local level. The laws that affect you specifically are the laws that – um that you want to put get put in place. So yes, the, the federal government obviously is more important tech, like realistically, but in terms of your voting and your representative, the more important representative to you as an individual will be your local representative, will be your state senator, will be your governor, will be your mayor, the people who actually impact what you do on a consistent basis. Um, as for the Supreme Court, I mean, we don't vote in the Supreme Court. They're chosen by the, uh, the the president. And they're here to interpret laws, not dictate laws, I would say. And the the at the end of the day, yes, there's a certain level of biases. There probably are ways to make the Supreme Court more efficient. I personally think that the Supreme Court should always be a more evened out number of jurors on in terms of representative ideologies. But to each their own, depending on what you think about that. But they're here to interpret what is and make sure that we have a good precedent moving forward. The Constitution is only is still words from people all the way back then. 
and their words from all the way back then don't necessarily one-to-one correlate to what we got going on today. So we have to put in amendments. We have to have case law to ensure that it constantly evolves, like I said before, to our current needs today. So the Supreme Court is very important, and more and more people want to go to the Supreme Court for everything that we have nowadays. So I can see why people are concerned about it. But that is their job at the end of the day. That is what they're here to do. Um, if you're, if there's any like particular things in terms of the, their powers to be, obviously it's a conversation. But if they're told to, hey man, interpret what is going on here and tell us what's going on, then that's what they're going to do, of course. Do you think one of our challenges as people is to have forethought into the future and to act while there, while there's relevance to the action? And two examples that come to mind is with the election of Donald Trump and the reversal of Roe versus Wade. And with both those things, I saw a whole lot of energy and action happen after the fact. Nothing leading up to it. Um, do you think that's a human challenge that we need to acknowledge and learn to overcome? I think that that is more than likely just how it is when it comes to human nature. Um, I heard someone talk about it, that humanity is not great at preparing, not great with foresight, but humanity is great at adapting to what happens. So it's impossible to know that whatever that is put in place will be in the betterment of society as a whole. And I think adaptation is probably just more important at the end of the day, because I've said it before on my podcast and this episode might already be out. I'm not sure, but people need to realize that when a solution is implemented into American society, that solution is going to do what it's going to do. But there will always, 100% of the time, there will always be an issue down the line. Perfect example. Regardless of what you think about the feminist movement, feminist movement was a great net positive for American society. Why? It's obvious. Women have more rights. Women can vote. Women are treated with more respect. Women are treated as equal. What problem happened afterwards, which is a like there's problems with everything, like I said, is that there's a weird kind of weird dynamic between women and men nowadays in terms of relationships and with women being more individualized, with women now being in the workplace, with women now kind of having their own thing, the the need, the the way men are able to just get women have completely changed. And it's hard for a lot of men nowadays to talk to women, to confront women. And that's not due to feminine, that's not the woman's fault necessarily, but we need to adapt to, okay, now that women are, have these positions of power and now that these women are, you know, workers, this tradition, we got to figure out what are we going to do in terms of these relationships? Cause there are still women who go like, now nah, you still need to treat, you still need to treat me. Uh, you need to, 
buy my dinner. You still need to open the door for me. You still need to be my protector. And there's other women saying, no, I don't need any of that. And then there's other women that says, I might make as much as money as you, or I might make more money than you, but I, if you don't make more money than me, then I don't care about you. So there's a weird dynamic between a lot of different women in terms of the relationship scene that men are trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? So that's just an down the line problem that was caused due to feminism. And that's just something we just need to adapt to now to figure out what's the best ways. And the, when people talked about it, some people said, like I've said, hey, guys, you got to learn how to be one more confident. You got obviously to take care of yourself. And obviously, you got to look for the right woman. It's going to be harder now, obviously, but you got to be out there. You know what I'm saying? Even Tinder was a solution at one point, but now Tinder is not as great when it comes to meeting the right one. You got to be out there. You got to be willing to communicate. And women, too, got to be like, okay, you got to have realistic standards. You can't expect all the guys to be richer than you. Like, so that's just how we're going to have to adapt to the current status quo of relationships. But that's just one example. So overall, it would be impossible to have the foresight to really know whether or not what we're doing is going to be a net positive or whether it's going to have what issues are going to cause due to whatever we're doing. So the best way we should always go about it is prepare the best we can. But obviously keep in mind that everything's going to have a problem and we have to be ready to solve the problem when it eventually arises. Have you found some things for yourself that work for you in problem solving? So for me, when I have a problem for the most part, I always try to plan how I'm doing things. I write things down. I organize it in a very efficient manner that looks good to me. I kind of weigh out the pros and cons. I kind of do all the normal stuff when it comes to problem solving. Now, obviously things go wrong. And what I recommend for people when things go wrong is turn off everything, turn off the TV, tell everybody go away, turn off your phone, sit there, stand in silent. Obviously you're going to be frustrated, but then just think, okay, what can I do? At that point, thinking is going to be your best friend. Maybe some people are not good at it. Maybe some people are have different strategies. But for me, anytime I hit a fork in the road that kind of ruined my plans, because there's random things that happen to everybody in, throughout the throughout your life, I've always just turned everything on, went silent, and just kept on thinking on how to solve the problem. There's always a solution I feel like people can find. Um there may be a, a, this is, hey man, I'm screwed. But unless you, if you're just doing your life normally, if you're kind of proceeding properly, if you're kind of living a good life, I guess, quote unquote, you really shouldn't be in an issue where there's a problem that you can't solve unless you put yourself in that issue, right? If you, like, I mean, if you murder someone, then that's your fault, right? If in cold blood. So there's always should be a solved problem to be solved. And at that point, it's up to you to kind of solve it. You just got to be allow yourself to kind of calm down, put your emotions aside and start trying to think logically, write things down, weigh out the pros and cons and be willing to ask for help as well. There's no need to be independent all the time and an individual people are there to help you. So be willing to ask for help as well. All right. So on that note, do you see merit to the political entities that 
give aid to people such as um, f- food stamps or free medical or how do you see that being a part of our political system? So those are definitely things that were put in place through the idea that it's here to help people. Um, and nowadays people are saying things like, Hey, the system is the reason why we're having so many issues. But I guess, like I said, it plays into the bigger conversation. There's always going to be issues after a solution is placed. My thing is when it comes down to like the government aiding people, it's, I think it's fine to aid people that are obviously have no option, but I do think that the best way to approach these situations or to make them fend for themselves is to make them willing to go and be an individual and strive for better for themselves. There is probably a small, I don't know the percentage of individuals that are on food stamps or on whatever and are kind of just fine with what they're living um, and just want to be lazy and just go like, hey, man, I'm just going to live out life and who cares? And the people who say these people are still living a miserable lives, it's irrelevant whether your perception of them is a miserable life because we also understand that people adapt to their circumstance. So even if they're living a miserable life, as long as they can just live the life and then they'll live it regardless, no matter how miserable we think it is. That's something important for people to realize who keep who bring that up. So we got to make sure we're putting people in positions to, okay, yeah, we're trying to help you get you on your feet. Well, you need to get on your feet. You need to strive for better. You need to be better, have a better situation for yourself and for the people around you and in your community and maybe even your kids as well, which is probably the most important. Yeah. The, the challenge I see in that is, um, I know for me personally, there's been many a moment in my life where my emotional environment is crippling me and I'm taking responsibility for it. Like it's my emotional life. It's not anyone else's responsibility, but there's a struggle to just engage in getting out of bed and brushing my teeth. Um, so helping an individual to put, to put ramifications on that help, um, from outside the individual, I wonder if that hinders the aid. Like maybe there's merit just politically speaking where our political system gives everybody food, shelter, clothing, just those basic three done. If you do nothing, if you watch TV 24 seven, you're going to live. You're fine. You got health care. You're good. And from that place of stability, perhaps that helps the mental health of our social society as a whole um, and the individuals who do want to excel and dive into life and find out what they are, who they are, the basics are there to support them on that venture. 
That's really tough for me to kind of be on board with because ultimately I do think that people in a society need to give to that society. And that is how it's going to be. That's how it's going to flourish. Now, the obvious exceptions would be the people who are extremely sick, right? And they can't do anything, obviously. Um, but even those individuals are somewhat giving a nurse, a doctor, a job, and health insurance, of course, even with people who are very, very old. They spent their entire lives before then giving to society. And even if, and they have like, they built up their own finances with like social security potentially. Or if they go to a nursing home, they're giving to the fact that a, you know, nursing home individual has a job. So there's a, you have, there's, a, has to be a way to kind of give to society for the most part. And the extreme circumstances are much more lenient, but we even have jobs for people with disabilities. People with disabilities want, want jobs too. The reason why I say this is because in order for a society to continuously move, the, the wheel needs to continuously move. Everybody has to kind of work together to make sure that everything is rotating. And ultimately we want everybody to be kind of live a joyful life. I think one of the main values of living life is joy. I've said that repeatedly and it can be a struggle that you're going through a very mundane job and you don't want to do anything, but you not doing anything is just going to make someone else's life harder because they're going to have to work double as hard. They're going to have to, do more work for the same pay. So that'll just create a bigger problem in the long run. If you're not providing anything and making someone else work for your lack of providing whatever you're not providing. My thing is when it comes to our mental health and people's joy, I've said before that people's lack of joy comes with purpose and meaning. People are losing meaning and purpose in life, whether that's due to lack of religion or some other factor. Um, because people have more times than themselves, they, they think these things through and just kind of find, are not find, able to find a, a proper light, especially if they, they grow up in a very bad environment. And with this kind of lack of purpose, last, lack of meaning, this constant loop of negativity going on in your brain in these negative environments, we can see why mental health is going to be issue. I think people need to recognize that in the most prosperous societies, mental health will always be an issue because not everybody can prosper in that prosperous society. So my thing is, one thing that I've thought of is we need to create more meaning in more areas. Now, I've already talked about like individualized meaning, finding your joy, finding your hobby, friends and family, all that is kind of understandable all that we all kind of realize that it can be hard for some, but a societal potential way to put meaning into places is to put meaning more into certain careers and jobs. We know that if you're a lawyer, you have meaning, but even lawyers kind of get like very depressed. We know athletes, entertainers, they all have meaning in some way. The meaning that they are garnering, it seems to me, especially nowadays, that could help with a lot of people kind of enjoying their life a lot more 
is making it entertaining. And this is just my idea that's rolling around my head. So I don't think this is a concrete solution, but I do think there is some potential legitimacy in making everything seem more entertaining than it is through self, through self content creation. So people who are consecrating the TikToks, even though I hate the fact that everybody makes a TikTok in every situation, <laughs> there is some value of a, maybe even like a construction worker doing construction work, TikToks and showing the nuance and the intricacies, showing the passion and people watching it and enjoying it and all that stuff and seeing the value of, of said profession. So I think that's an interesting way. Also, it brings in more money, obviously, because more people are watching it and advertisements and all that stuff. Um, so that's a more societal way. That's just one thing that popped in my head like recently. Is it a concrete solution? I don't know. I think there are better solutions that are a lot more elaborate. But finding more meaning in your work is definitely is a good uh, stepping stepping so stone or step. Part block. of what I hear is you're saying our challenge as individuals is to find our joy, and no no matter what we're doing, our human challenge is to be joyful in that moment. Yeah, and I think people obviously it's hard to find your joy based off your circumstance. But everybody can find joy unless you're a sociopath or a psychopath. But even them can find joy to an extent, right? Yeah, they find joy in wicked ways. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Um, but everybody everybody can find joy. There are so many things in society, in American society, that you can do to find joy. And I think the best way to find joy for people at the end of the day it's family and friends and relationships at the end of the day. It's being around people. All right. Um, you mentioned religion earlier. Do you yourself have a spiritual belief within yourself? Um, personally, no. I'm more agnostic um, for me personally. I have grew up religious. I grew up Christian. Um, in different ways, of course, went to church, um, seeing a lot of the stories in the Bible, seeing different scriptures throughout my life, of course. And ultimately, the reason why I say I'm agnostic is because I found it kind of futile personally to constantly think about the, the question of whether or not God exists. So ultimately, I said to myself that I'm going to live a way that I do think is just from the values that I have garner over the years and when i kind of morbid but this is how i think when i die i'll find my answer <laughs> is basically how i'm thinking and for me it works because i have a moral code without inherent religion i think religion helped shape it because my experience of with religion but for me it works obviously but i do think there's value in religion because i don't think it works for everybody Creating a moral structure on your own is just not something people can do, realistically. Right? So religion has value. Religion could be correct. Christianity could be, could be correct, of course. And there's nothing wrong with that if you believe your ways. My only thing is if you're religious, of course, practice what you preach. Don't be a fake religious individual. And the goal at the end of the day, from what I've seen from all the different religions I've seen, 
should be the betterment of the world, the society, by practice of how you practice your religion, you need to be a morally good person to get to the best places, right? So I think that it can provide a lot of that for people where they want to be that good individual, where they want to kind of reach that pinnacle. And that's a good thing for for people, of course. When you look on your own personal childhood and growing up, um, do you believe that you grew up in a positive, wholesome environment or were you in one of the challenging environments I heard you refer to earlier? So financially, I would say I was in a pretty normal situation um, because I grew up in military housing. So there wasn't really like financial challenges necessarily throughout my childhood. Um, but it's not like we're rich or anything more like middle class, I guess. Right. But I wouldn't say my upbringing was good because I had a whole lot of family drama, a whole lot. And there's a the book can be read about how much of the family drama I had between the issues between my parents and other members of the family. So, I grew up not needing to kind of survive due to financial situations, but I grew up very independently due to family drama situations. So I always kind of thought for myself, I was very independent. I was also an older brother. So I was kind of a default leader right from the jump and kind of always kind of thought for myself kind of, yes, I was raised, but like everything that created like I garnered and was raised, I wasn't like raised the most consistent way. Basically I was very much an individual throughout my childhood. Um, so that kind of helped grow me to be an individual now and think for myself and have my own different perspectives. And I also was able to meet a lot of different individuals cause I moved around quite a bit. Um, uh, born in Hawaii, moved to the Northeast, moved to the mid, uh, the, to like the, middle section of the country, of course, have a lot of different individuals, whether it's Christian, military, um, my different ethnicities that correspond or that make up my family, different people I met through military housing. So met a lot of different people, met a lot of different experiences, met a lot of different perspectives, grew up very independently and financially was pretty middle class. It kind of makes sense how I was able to kind of create my type of mindset. I grew up very in a very unique situation. And I was pretty smart throughout my entire childhood. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, was, I could understand things better than most people. Um, are those family dramas still alive in today? Uh, absolutely. For sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. Um, I have a last question. Um, well, there's actually two. <laughs> uh, so Mark really, he wasn't able to really join us today. But, and I'm sorry, we might need to uh, invite you back if you're okay with that. Cause this topic of politics is really his passion. Um, and he, I think would bring, uh, some elements and knowledge that I don't have that would really 
So we might we might be circling back with you uh, if you're open to it, Mr. Lewis. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Um, I'm wondering, I noticed on one of your episodes, and I didn't have time to listen to it, but you were touching on what's going on with the current Hamas-Israel um, war and the situation in the Middle East. Do you mind my asking your personal thoughts about that situation? And especially, is there some hope for the situation? Uh, hope is hard to say, especially from an outside perspective. Um, I will say this. The Israel-Palestine situation is very complicated. The people who are so sure that their side is right, a little, a little bit ignorant, but, you know, to each their own, I guess. I understand why people who are half family in Israel, who are Jewish, are so, like, angry at the you know other side i understand people who are palestinian who are muslim or so angry on the other side i think people need to realize a few things few few very key details hamas is a terrorist organization 100 percent a terrorist organization what they've been doing what they've done very terrible people also need to realize hamas gaza and israel have been trying have been in conflict for a very, very long time. It's not something that's added up recently. They've been in conflict for a very long time. And there have been, there have been attempts to create a two-state solution. And initially, from what I've researched, Palestinians were the ones saying no a lot in the beginning. Right now, Israel, a lot of the radical right Israels in the uh, Israeli government who are also very bad because they seem to just want a basically a genocide of the Palestinian people based off how they're acting from my point of view. Anyway, the, the extremist right Israelis, not the entire Israel, but the extreme. I feel like people need to distinguish these things. They and a lot of them are in the president's ear or prime minister. I forget what's called Natahanu of this kind of very extreme idea. Now, I'm not saying Natahanu is extremist, right? But I'm saying that they are definitely have a influence in the Israeli government from what I've seen it at the very least. So now even they don't seem like they want a two state solution. And obviously Gaza and the Palestinians seem to be. The Hamas, at the very least, the leadership don't want a two-state solution. So overall, both sides kind of don't want to kind of be separate. They want to be at one. But the only way this is going to happen is if, if we're being honest, Hamas is completely eliminated. Because Hamas, in their doctrine, said they want to get rid of Jews. So it's a very complicated situation. People who are supporting Hamas are delusional and terrible people and people who are okaying the constant airstrikes that are killing innocent civilians are also delusional. But at the same time, it's a very complicated situation for people, even on the Israeli side, because one, it's hard to kind of, I've heard the, the solution of special ops in Palestine and that might be good, but I guess it's hard to pinpoint Hamas right now, especially with all the underground tunnels and the fact that they keep on telling uh, Palestinians to leave Gaza. And apparently, from what I've heard, Hamas keeps on making them stay. And if they got to leave, they can't leave to Israel because there's fear that 
terrorists is going to be a part of the refugees that try to come to Israel. So again, it's it's a very complicated situation on both sides because I'm not even saying Israel back in the past was doing everything right because they were putting certain territories in Palestinian territory. So both sides were doing very messed up stuff. Killing civilians happened on both sides. If I had to pick a side that I would pick, I would pick Israel because Israel is our ally and Hamas are terrorists at the end of the day. And I just don't know what the best solution. Someone has to probably step in, a third party, whether it's the United Nations, whether it's the United States of America, and say, y'all need to cut it out, and this is what we're doing, and just put their foot down. Is Hamas getting support from other Middle Eastern countries or even uh, Russia, like I've heard, potentials? Yeah, they're definitely trying to obviously get uh, support from Muslim countries for obvious reasons. Are they getting it? Um, from what I'm aware of, they're getting somewhat support. I don't know the extent, so I won't speak on that. Um, they're definitely from definitely getting somewhat support here and there. I th- I heard that Israel is getting in some conflict with some Muslim countries as well. Um, such as potentially Iran, potentially Lebanon. So I'm not sure how that will kind of pan out. And I can see why Russia would aid Gaza because they're against the United States and Russia is pissed at the United States. So overall, it's, it's really hard to say the extent of the support they're getting, but they're more than likely getting support to, uh, at some level, I would say. Well, uh, Riddell, I feel like I could do another hour with you easy. Um, I'm going to talk with Mark. I think we are going to invite you back because I really believe he should be part of uh, the communication with you. Um, I just really appreciate um, your presence here. And I got to say, that what's the um, pirate leader who wears the yellow hat from One Piece? What's his name? Luffy. Luffy, I see that how I see within you that joy de vere and hope that he held for everybody. Like, yeah, we're in, we're doing this. We got this. It's going to work out. And um, even though I also know you to be a very level-headed person, you yourself have said you're mostly a thinker, um, but I do see within you that joyful burst for, yeah, life. It's great. We do have a traditional question here that we always end with. All right. Very important question right now. So are you ready? Yep. Eminem or Foo Fighters? Uh, the rapper Eminem? Yes, sir. I don't know much about Foo Fighters, and I do think Eminem is one of the goats. Um, so, the Eminem. All right. <laughs> um, is there anything else that um, you'd like to bring up or mention before we sign off? Uh, yeah. So, everybody who listened to the podcast, do appreciate you, of course. If you want to check out my podcast, 
It's called the Purple Political Breakdown. You can come to the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. Um, you can find it on all different audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Um, if you have Roku.tv, you can find us on the Planet uh, Planet uh, Pod Nations and Planet X Network. Uh, so, you know, we're expanding our influence. We're here to, at the end of the day, have these t- important conversations, have these, co- like, talk about these different solutions, um, important solutions, as we all know. And the hope is we kind of push everything forward instead of pushing everything back and make a better society. Always strive for utopia, not have an actual utopia is what I tell people. Because striving for perfection means that we're constantly improving at the end of the day. That's beautiful. Well, again, thank you for your time. Um, I've certainly been educated and hopefully we'll have you as a guest again. All right. Sounds good. I can't wait to be on again. Recording stopped.